I'd like to say happy Father's Day to all your dads also. Boy, fatherhood is an important thing. I find this fascinating. On Mother's Day, we give the moms and the women this super cute little cupcake, right? All this loving design and all that. And then for guys, you get a piece of meat. God's good, isn't he? I love it. So anyway, it's fun. So enjoy your stick of meat, guys. Um, This morning, we're going to continue on in our Here to There series, and we're going to really be uh, zooming in once again on faith. We're in this leg of the journey where we're talking about having a prevailing faith, and this morning, we're going to uh, 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 look at uh, a fellow in the Old Testament that really um, is an example, a great model of, of faith. And then on this Father's Day, I can't think of any better legacy for you dads to leave your children than to be men of faith. Pass it on to your, your kids. Um, so this morning, I'm going to head to the Old Testament, and I'm going to look at one of the explorers, one of the spies, sometimes called, that the ancient patriarch Moses uh, sent in to check out the promised land that God was giving the Israelites. He modeled for us what I think is overcoming uh, faith. God had delivered the uh, Israelites from their captivity. I'm, I'm going to bring up the speed here. God had delivered the, the people, Israel, from their captivity, from their bondage to Egypt. He delivered them, if you recall this, by mighty signs and wonders and miraculous intervention. And finally, the Egyptians uh, said to their uh, slaves, the Israelites, get out of here, basically. Get out of our land. We don't even want you around anymore. Uh, You're just bringing trouble on us. And so the Israelites begin to depart. But then the Egyptians changed their mind, if you know the story. And they begin to pursue the Israelites. And they get to the Red Sea. And God miraculously parts the Red Sea. And the Israelites go over on the dry land. And then when the Egyptians try to follow, uh, he closes up the water. So you just see all this miraculous intervention in the deliverance of Israel uh, from, from Egypt. So now they get to the edge. They're right to the edge of the promised land, right? And God says to Moses, the leader of the Israelites, get 12 men and tell them to go explore the land I'm going to send you into. And so we call these guys the 12 spies, but they really were 12 explorers. And so they go into the land and they explore it and they come back with a report uh, to the congregation. Now, 10 gave a bad report, but two, Joshua and Caleb, who is the person we're looking at today, we're looking at Caleb today, they gave a report that we can do it. And so 10 gave what I call a faith-destroying destruction kind of report, okay? Two, on the other hand, said, we could do it. They gave a faith overcoming kind of report. So as we get into this this morning, we're going to look at faith destroyers and how to have overcoming faith. So let's, let's go to the Bible and let's read about what takes place as these explorers go check out the land and come back with a report. I'm going to read to you Numbers chapter 13, verse 25 through Numbers chapter 14, verse 4. Sometimes people erroneously think Numbers is a boring book because of the name in the Old Testament. It is not. I would encourage you greatly just to read the book in the Old Testament. It's got fascinating story after fascinating story in it. By the way, none of the Bible is boring. Okay, I just want to make that point. All right, because I didn't, yeah. It's just... I don't want a letter or something. Anyway, here we go. Um, I'm going to start with number 13, beginning at verse 25. Listen to this. At the end of the 40 days, 
They returned from exploring the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported them into the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruits. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there, and the Malachites live in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up. And take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack these people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they explored. They said, The land we explored devours those living in it. And all the people we saw there were of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we looked the same to them. That night all the members of the community raised their voice and they wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. If only, and, and, and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children would be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Hmm. Interesting, isn't it? Let's talk about faith destroyers for just a few moments here. If, if you want to wreck your faith, here's how you do it. They, they model that for us here a bit, these unfaithful uh, explorers. Uh, looking at life from only a human viewpoint is the first way to begin to destroy your faith. In this account, we read that the spies went into the land for 40 days. 40 days seems to be a common number of testing in the Bible. Jesus, uh, after he was baptized by John the Baptist, went into the desert and he fasted for 40 days. And uh, then the devil tested him. And it appears here that the same kind of thing's happening uh, to the people of God in ancient Israel. They were, were, were uh, spies were in the land for 40 days. They come back. It's, it's a moment of testing. And they failed the test miserably. They were to trust God and take the next step of faith in him and trust in him to deliver. The 10 uh, spies report were so uh, discouraging, it, it, it's discouraged the people, and they all became a dismal failure uh, to the test, I think, that they were at that moment in their life. They forget, they, they just forgot God, the object of their faith. Yeah, I mean, God had delivered them by miraculous plagues on Egypt, 10 of them, right? God had parted the Red Sea and delivered. God had just done one miracle after another, but they forgot God, and instead they looked at the human obstacles before them, and they were dismayed, and they, and they gave up. I think we got to watch out. We're frail. We human beings are so frail. We tend to quickly look at human obstacles, and they overwhelm us, right? Because that's exactly what happened to the Israelites. And I think we do two things when it comes to kind of our humanness, is we we over-idealize human beings, or we become very cynical about them. Have you noticed that? Or about our human condition? Both are the wrong focus. I don't know about any of you, but I grew up in an era, some of you are old as me, where the TV shows actually exalted fathers. Do you remember Father Knows Best? Anybody in here? There's a picture. I'm sure, dads, this is your experience at night. You go home, and your family adoringly sits around and just listens to every word of wisdom that falls from your mouth upon their little ears. Amen, right? 
because that's kind of the picture there. They're just adoringly looking at the Father. He was this wise sage that just spilled out words of wisdom. And every life situation that came up with, you know, back in the day, if you watch this, he was just a wise guy and had all the answers. That's your home life, right? And that's an idealization, of course, of fatherhood. But then, after this era, we entered into another era in our country, the cynical era, and Archie Bunker came on the scene. Just almost the antithesis of Father Knows Best. Archie was this cranky, ignorant, bigoted, crazy guy that was the, the, basically the, the, the source of joke in that family. And that became what some people thought fatherhood was. It was a joke and the, it was, you know, goofiness and all that kind of thing. Neither one of those are a good characterization of fatherhood. Amen? And neither one of those are, are, are right. They, they, they're kind of obstacles. And too quickly we want to idealize it and depend on it, or we get cynical and, and it becomes an optical in that way. Well, the, the Israelites were looking at their problems from a human standpoint. These this, 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 we humanly can't see how we can do this. The focus is all wrong. Listen, dads, the best gift you can give your kids is to be a faithful man of God. Amen? That's the best legacy you can leave them. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be the ideal father. You, you just have to be real and authentic and love God and love them. Amen? Right? And so what we got to watch out for, faith destroyer number one here we see with the Israelites is simply this. They were looking at human obstacles and they were forgetting who God was. Let's go to obstacle number two, listening to and spreading a bad report. Listening to and spreading a bad report. The 10 spies came back with this really bad report and, and we can't do this. They're big, they're huge, the cities are fortified and fierce. I say this frequently to people who are followers of God. You have got to have selective hearing. You have times of God to just, I'm not going to listen to that. Nah, 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 nah. When people say things that are not true and they say derogatory things about God and stuff, you just have got to not listen to that. Amen? Not believe it for sure and not spread a bad report around. When you hear a bad report about something or someone or about uh, something that's going to, just don't spread it around. Let it stop with you. Don't be a a destroyer of other people's faiths. Just stop it at, 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 at you. Don't let it go on any farther than you. Amen? And don't listen to things that just aren't true. Have selective hearing. Because through our God, we can do valiantly. Through our God, we can run through a troop. Through our God, we can jump the wall. Amen? That's what God tells us we can do. We can't listen to these reports that say God is small and God is insufficient. You know, and humans are really smart. No, blah, blah, blah. You follow what I'm saying? Have some selective hearing. Three. Three. Third obstacle that destroys faith. Exaggerating problems. Exaggerating problems. We see that very thing happen here with this uh, little gathering of the, of the, of the explorers. Um, it's like the ten... Explorers with a negative report are feeding off each other in a negative way. The story keeps getting worse and worse and worse, and they go, the people are big there, they're fierce there, and then they start getting kind of caught up in their own story, and the Nephilim were there. Now, the Nephilim are, are talked about in Genesis. They're pre-flood people that were fierce and large. And what happened to them with the flood, do you think? Come on, think about this. What happened to them with the flood? They're no more. So what's going on here? They're comparing these, these Anakites, these large people, to the Nephilim, and in their mind, all of a sudden, they became the Nephilim. 
You follow what I'm saying? They're not only big, they're the Nephilim, the Nephilim are back, the boogeyman's back, the boogeyman's back. Right? I know that's not a very good analogy, but you get what I'm saying? That's what was going on. And then the exaggeration keeps getting worse. We're grasshoppers. In our sight and in their sight. They're looking down on us. Then their fear is just building and building and building, and pretty soon they're all caught up in the problem. They're going, ah! Are you getting this? It's all exaggeration. Sometimes in the midst of a problem, that problem grows larger than life, and you just need to step away from it and say, God is bigger. Amen? Bigger than this problem that I'm facing. God is greater. God is more dependable. All right, let's go to faith destroyer number four, giving in to despair. As the people heard these spies and their story, they begin to despair. They're weeping and they're crying. It'd be better for us in Egypt, they begin to say. Wow, when our focus is on the why nots and the problems and the brokenness and the sinfulness of our lives and so on, and when we begin to get into this kind of stuff and say that there's no hope, we become people of despair. And that's a bad place to be. Martin Luther, the founder of the Lutheran denomination, tells an interesting story about despair and giving up. At one time, said Martin Luther, I was sorely vexed and tried by my own sinfulness, by the wickedness of the world, and by the dangers that beset the church, I begin to mourn, he says. I begin to be a very sad person. He said, one day I saw my wife dressed in mourning. Surprised, I asked her, well, who had died? Do you not know, she replied, God in heaven is dead. How can you talk such nonsense, Katie, I said. How can God die Why he is immortal and will live through all eternity? I said, still not perceiving what she was aiming at. How can you doubt it? As surely as there is a God in heaven, so sure is it that he can never die. And yet, she said, though you do not doubt that, you are so hopeless and you are so discouraged. Then I observed what a wise woman my wife was, and I mastered my sadness. We cannot be people who give in to despair. One more faith destroyer, and then we're going to move on to Caleb and talk on overcoming faith. Longing for the unhealthy former. You gotta watch out for longing for the unhealthy former. Here's what I mean by this phrase. It's a longing to go back in a place in your life before God was moving in your life. It's a longing to go back to a place you were at before you're born again. In the case of the Israelites, it was a longing to go back to that place of slavery to Egypt before God came in and set them free. It's saying, I don't wanna be free in God, I'd rather be a slave in Egypt. We gotta watch out for longing to uh, going back to the unhealthy former. They wanted slavery, the ancient Israelites, over freedom in the Lord. That's craziness. That's craziness. Why would you want that? Before we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, we're like in slavery. We're like in our Egypt, so to speak, us people. And when we become born again in Jesus Christ, we're delivered from that. We're delivered from that slavery. Why do we want to go back to that land of no hope? No love, no future. But sometimes we begin to think it was good back there, it was fun back there, it was great back there, I had parties back there, I had friends back there, blah, 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 right? And we begin to, we get to romanticize and make it better and the Israelites were doing that very thing. It was a terrible place, Egypt. They were in distress, they were slaves. But the problem began to loom so large, they thought, I wanna go back to that former place. We gotta watch out for that. People of God, we got to watch for it. Amen, right? There is nothing 
worth going back for. When you know Jesus Christ, nothing's comparable to that. And you have to become conviction all that. You are in the best place you could possibly be in your life, and you don't want to long to go back to the former. The former's not good. I hear people talk about the good old days, and I jokingly say, they're not that good. I like modern TV. I like my cars. They have AC. That's cool. I used to sleep on the basement floor in our house in the summertime because it was so hot. I like modern things. I kind of like those things. Uh, anyway, I am digress. I don't want to go there too far. When you come to the Lord Jesus Christ, you're new. You're born again. Uh, Romans 6, 2 tells us we are, and Jesus, are, are dead to our former life. We're dead to sin. I love Romans 8, verse 12 through 14. Listen to this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh. And by the, referring to the flesh, it means it's not to your former life. It's not to your life before Jesus Christ to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, the spirit, but if by the Spirit you put on, uh, to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Before you're in Jesus Christ, it can be compared, it can be kind of an analogy to being a slave in Egypt. That's the place of no hope, no love, no future. But Jesus, like God delivered Israel, came to deliver you and me from our bondage. And now we're free, and if we're free, we're free indeed. And there should be no longing for the former. Amen? No longing for the former. Now it's time to turn our attention to Caleb, a man who pleased God, who have overcoming faith. Listen to what happens next in this count of the explorers. I'm going to read from Numbers 14, verses 5 uh, through 11. Listen to this. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of uh, Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into the land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of the meeting to all the Israelites. The Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me? That's a timeless question. How long will people refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs I have performed among them? So God now intends to destroy the Israelite community, but Moses and Aaron intercede, and they're spared from immediate destruction. But God says, since you've been unfaithful, you're not going to enter into my promises. You're not going to enter into the promised land. But there's a notable exception. Caleb is a notable exception. Listen to what the Lord says uh, to him in, in Numbers chapter 14, verse 24. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. So for a few moments, I want to use the example of Caleb and talk with you about overcoming faith. Be willing to be in the minority. That's point one. Be willing to be in the minority. Caleb was willing to be in the minority here in this situation. In Numbers 30, verse 13, he silenced the people and he said, we should go up, we should take possession of the land, for we certainly can do it. In Numbers chapter 14, both Caleb and Joshua tear their clothes um, because of their great distress over the people's rebellion. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into the land. And 
they stood alone before that whole assembly, and they, and they stood fast in the promises of God. Faith is never about a majority. Did you hear me on that? It's never about a majority. It always sees God as the majority. Jesus went to the cross alone. His followers were dispersed. We look like Jesus when we stand alone at times. Let me ask you a question. How do you do in this regard? Are you willing to stand alone in your faith, even when it's not popular, even when you're being mocked, even when people say you're being dumb or you're being ignorant or you're just, you know, foolish or whatever? Are you willing to stand alone and say, I will trust in God in spite of what those around me are doing? Overcoming faith, point two, trust that God will lead. Trust that God will lead. Caleb and Joshua also were confident that the Lord would lead. Corey Ten Boom suffered imprisonment at a Nazi concentration camp, her and her family, because they, they were helping Jews escape um, during World War II. She said this. This is one of my takeaways from a very devoted woman to God. She said this. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. And, and, and we get, you always have to trust that God will lead. The Israelites were unsure of their future, and they weren't willing to trust God with their future. Caleb and Joshua, on the other hand, they knew who God was. They didn't know what the future was going to be, but they knew who God was, right? So they were willing to say, I'm going to enter into this future trusting in this known God because he's done great things, and we know who God is, so we know we can take an unknown future and trust it to a known God. That's faith. Amen? It's not knowing what's going to happen. It's knowing who God is and trusting him. And you know what we have to begin to understand is that God usually gives us just enough illumination in our lives to take the next step. He doesn't show us what the end of our life is going to be like. Praise be to God for that. Amen? Sometimes we don't need to know that. But he gives us enough illumination to take the next step. So here's the principle. God will often give just enough direction to see the next step you're to take. That's how faith works. Radio preacher Chuck Swindoll shared a story that illustrates how this just enough light thing works. He talked about flounder fishing. Flounder fishing. Now, flounder fish are those strange fish that they, they lie at the bottom of the sea. They look like this. They kind of blend in. They're well camouflaged. They've got two eyes on one side of their body. They have no eyes on the other side of the body. And they eat shrimp. So here's how you flounder fish. If you're into flounder fishing, you're in the sea sometime, okay? I'm going to tell you how you do this. You take a lantern that just has a, a small amount of light, just enough to see movement. And you take that out, and, and you wade into the water, and when you see it move, you spear them. That's how you flounder fish. It's called floundering. It's floundering around. You're just taking enough flights you can barely see to take a little movement and, and stab them. If you have too much light, guess what? They don't move. They hide, and you can't see them because they blend in with, the, with the, uh, the sea bottom so well. And so that's floundering. And that's kind of how our faith works, only we don't spear things, amen? Not on purpose anyway. You, you know, but what God gives is enough illumination to know where to go next, just enough. But he doesn't give us all this light and all this revelation. I don't know if we could even handle that. So we have to be people of faith who say, I will take the next step for the illumination that God is giving me. We've got to become people who flounder a bit. 
and I'm using that in the right way, okay? Um, so let me ask you this. How do you do in this regard? Because I'm going to say this again. I know it's Father's Day, and I'm, I'm focusing on some of you dads. Do your kids see you, dads, taking steps of faith? That's the best gift you can give them. It's the best gift you can give them. Number three, number three here in terms of overcoming faith is this. Fear God more than people. Caleb and Joshua 2 said to the people, you know, don't rebel against God. Why are you fearing these people? They were fearing the people and they were not fearing God. They were rebelling against God because of their fear of people. Listen, if we're going to have overcoming faith, brothers and sisters, we have got to fear God more than people. Amen? Simply stated, there's no other way for me to state that. It just has to happen. So how do you do in that regard? Are you a person that fears people more than God, or do you fear God more than people? Because if you're going to be a person of overcoming faith, you're going to have that down. You're going to fear God more than people. Fourth, rely on the promises of God. In short, Caleb and Joshua said, look, God said we could take the land, so we could take the land. Simple as that. They were just reliant on the, faith, uh, on the promises of God. Simply stated, that's what they did. They, they knew who God was, and they stood fast in him. Um, reminds me of a story of a traveler who was uh, in the early uh, times of our country trying to cross the Mississippi River. I grew up in the Mississippi River. I grew up a couple blocks away from the Mississippi River, spent most of my childhood down there messing around. And one of the things I learned that it, it, it was in the wintertime when it froze over, we were right on the other side of the Coon Rapids Dam, so it was kind of dangerous. And I was told multiple times, do not cross the river in the wintertime on the ice because there's all these turbulent currents underneath and there's thin ice and you can fall through and die. Well, this guy, this traveler, this early traveler in our nation's history got to the edge of the mighty Mississippi and it was frozen over. It was early winter and he wanted to get to the other side and it was getting late in the day, but he had never seen the, the river before. He didn't know if it was safe. So you know what he did? Got down on his hands and knees and he began to crawl across Nice. Would you do that? Of course he would. Oh, no, Deb said no. Okay. I, I probably would lay out spread eagle and swig, swim like little kids at army crawling. You know what I mean? Across the, the mighty. Because, you, you know, you're trying to distribute your weight so the ice won't break as easily. So he's on there. He's about halfway across the river as the story goes. And pretty soon he hears some singing. And here comes this guy with a big old coal sleigh and a horse singing at the top of his voice crossing the Mississippi River. And he's down there on his hands and knees. And it's kind of a funny, I think it's funny, growing up in the Mississippi, not very many other people are evidently thinking that's funny, but it's kind of humorous. But this is kind of what happens when it comes to our walk with God. If you know who God is, if you know he's a sure foundation, you're following after him, and what are you doing? You're singing, man. You're driving the sleigh. You're going where he wants to go. If you're not knowing God real well, if you're not trusting his promises, where are you? You're creeping along on your hands and knees. And that's precisely what happened with these ancient Israelites. Caleb and, and, and Joshua said, come on, let's go. We know who God is. We trust him. He's our foundation. We won't fall through. We won't go into the waters. And the rest are going, no, no, no. And they're keeping along on their hands and knees, unsure of whether to trust God or not. So let me ask you a simple question. Are you a creeper or a sleigh driver today? Which one are you? Ask yourself these hard questions. Which one are you? And be honest. God wants you to be a sleigh driver, by the way. There's a great ending to the story of this faithful Caleb. We're going to get to that now. Um, the unfaithful generation of the Israelites died off. 
Caleb's still around. That great leader Moses has passed on. He's been replaced by Joshua now. The only two faithful spies, they're still around. Joshua's the leader of the Israelites, and Caleb's still around. Listen to what takes place at the end here of Caleb's uh, story. It's found in Joshua now, chapter 14, verses 6 through 14. Now the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, uh, uh, the Kinzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh uh, Barnea, about you and me? I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land, and I brought back a report according to my convictions, but my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you have followed the Lord your God wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since that time. He said this is Moses when Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. That's a miracle. I don't know about some of you, used to, you're too young to understand. This is a miracle. This guy's 85, and he's still as strong as he was when he was 40. Woo! I'd love to have that be my legacy. How about you guys? I'm, I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me the hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there, and the cities were large and fortified. But the Lord... But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out, just as he said. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, uh, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kinzite, ever since, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. So here's number five. If you're going to have overcoming faith, wait on the Lord. You've got to wait on the Lord. You've got to wait on the Lord. 85-year-old Caleb's waiting on the Lord, still counting on his promises. And God was faithful to Caleb. According to some research I did, these, uh, these uh, Anakites were legendary people at that time. They were intimidating, large in statue. They were giants, like giants. That's why the 10 spies came back and gave such a despairing report. They saw these large, legendary, fearsome men. And what does Caleb do? I want them. I will go against the very ones that we were told we could not go against. I know God will help me. Give me those giants. I love it. Don't you love it? Because that's what he was saying. Give me the giants. Because God is with me, and I am not afraid of the giants in my life. Amen? So here's our reflection question for you as we conclude this message on overcoming faith. What giants are you facing in your life? What giants are you facing in your life where overcoming faith is needed. Perhaps what you need to say is, through my God, I will do valiantly. Through my God, I can overcome. And the giants will not overcome me. So what giants are you facing right now that God would say it's time for you to have overcoming faith as you face up against these things? And oftentimes, our giants can take many forms. I mean, I I was just reflecting on this a little bit. I'm going to share because I'm going to take about two more minutes, you guys, but that's all right. You can come up. I'm just standing there. Look cool. Um, I remember, you'll face multiple giants in your life. So I go along, I remember as a young guy, I, I'm really into sports. Some of you have been into sports. And I remember as a, as a junior in high school, playing a game basketball, I got caught a knee right here. 
I was going full force for, for a breakaway, and the guy just shoved his knee into me, kind of did it on purpose, later on I found, and I tore my quadricep. I don't know if you've ever tore your quadricep muscle. I was done for six months, going through therapy and all this, and uh, I remember walking up the stairs with Vicky one time, and forgot I had that injury, fell down. Just the knee just gave out, and I just kind of went down. And it was so much of a giant in my life at that time. Because, you know what, sports meant a lot to me. And I'm thinking, I'm a junior in high school, I can't be here now, right? And God was doing something greater than a sport. I had to face that giant and begin to say, God began to say to me, I'm gonna take this away from you. This is a giant in your life that needs to go away. And I began to put sports in perspective for me. Follow? You're gonna get to jobs that you go in there, walk in that job, even if you're well-educated and you go, I can't do this job. I remember first day at 3M, I sat down, they gave me 13 folders, said, there you go, go to work. And I remember turning to my neighbor who was aboard, board, said, where are the pencils? I didn't even know what to do. I didn't know how to start. Right? Can some of you relate to me on any of this? Sometimes you get into marriage and about five years later you look at your husband or your wife and go, who are you? And you're facing a giant right there that's laying next to you in the bed. Now, I'm not saying get out of that. I'm saying face the giant, faith. Sometimes it's a medical issue. Cancer. I had two parents lost to cancer. That's hard. Holding my mom's hand which we never do that because we're Norwegians, amen? We don't show any affection. And she just wanted to hold my hand and said, pray for me, pray for me, pray for me. I'm in so much pain. How can you face those things without God, amen? So it can go from a sports injury, it can go from cancer, it can go from jobs. You follow what I'm saying? These giants we face are all kinds of forms and they take all kinds of faces. Listen, we gotta be like Caleb and have an overcoming faith, amen? So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing a great song, and uh, you'll love it. Let's, let's pray. God, I thank you for the example of Caleb. We look a lot like you, Lord Jesus, when we are people of overcoming faith. And I'm convinced in a congregation of this size that every single family, every single person here, at some point in their life will face a giant where they just look at it, and if, humanly speaking, that will, it will look overwhelming. It'll look fearsome. It'll look like it can't be solved. It can't be, can't be dealt with. And God, humanly speaking, we can't. But through our God, we can do valiantly. Through our God, we can overcome. And I want to pray, Lord God, that you would begin to work in each one of us here the grace of overcoming faith. That we would see through troubling circumstances and giant obstacles and that we would have a clear vision of you, God, and we trust you more than ever and that we'd be willing, like Caleb, to wait 45 years on you if we have to, Lord. But we'd wait on you and we'd trust you and we'd be unwavering in our faith. Grace us to be people of overcoming faith. In a world that's so full of trouble, a world that's so full of strife and discord and unbelief, Lord, I pray that the people of God would rise up at this time and that we would be the Caleb's of our generation that would follow you wholeheartedly, Lord. That would be our reputation just like it was Caleb's reputation in this day, that we'd be known as people who wholeheartedly follow our God. Would you grace us that way, God? I pray for all the dads in here. It's hard to be dads. It's hard to be fathers, Lord. And I pray that you, on this Father's Day, would grace the dads here to love their wives, to love their children, 
and to be great men of faith, willing to stand alone at times, but never, ever compromising their walk with you, God. I pray that would be a legacy that they would pass on to their family. God, we love you and praise you. And all God's people said,